All right, all right, all right. If you've uh, found your way to your seat, why don't you stand back up again? And uh, as we prepare to open the scriptures, let's declare our faith, locate ourselves once again in the story of God with us. Say it with me, church. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And the church together said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start in, uh, I'm going to bounce around just a little bit this morning for the second Sunday of Advent here. And I'm going to start in Luke 3. So if you have Bibles... I'll invite you to turn in the book of Luke chapter 3. I'll read the first six verses. We are in the season of Advent. If you're new to Advent and the church calendar, Advent begins the liturgical cycle in the Christian calendar that culminates with Easter and then Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit. And so what the church does every year is it locates itself in the story of how God has come to be with us in Jesus. And Advent comes from an old Latin word, Adventus, which just means coming. And so what the church does in Advent is it's, it turns its attention to the coming of God in the world in the person of Jesus. And there are lots of places in the scriptures that can help us locate ourselves inside of the spirituality of Advent. But I think you can hardly do better than Psalm 130. I was meditating on this this week. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord... Kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand. But with you, the psalmist says, there is forgiveness so that we may with reverence serve you. And then he makes this pivot, and all of us can identify with this. He says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Ever been on a long road trip, driving through the middle of the night, and you just can't wait for the dawn to come? You know, like, I just need some light. Well, that's what the psalmist says. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Like everything inside. Think about that. My whole being waits. Some of the older translations say my soul waits, which is a little bit too spiritual. It's really my whole body. My whole being is waiting for you, O oh God. And in your word, I put my hope. I'm waiting for the Lord, he says. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Question for you. How much control does the watchman have over when the morning comes? None. And so the watchman waits. Come on. We need you. We need you. We need you. And so the psalmist concludes by saying, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for what the Lord is un 
unfailing love. Like more faithful than the rising of the sun is the coming of God. With the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption and he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. What we do in Advent is we locate ourselves inside of our own longing and our own ache for God to come and to make not just our lives right, but the world around us right again. Again, we have no control over when God will come, but we lift up our hearts to him in expectation. We say, come into our world. One of the things that's so powerful about Advent, therefore, is that Advent, I think, actually names our true condition all of the time. There's not a single person in this room that isn't waiting on God for, for, uh, waiting on God for God to break through in some significant area of their life. So when we come into Advent and we feel that kind of dislocation, like we're here right now and we need God to break through, Advent is speaking to us where we are at, which is why the great theologian Karl Barth once said, what other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? Our whole life is one long Advent waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so what we do then is we ready ourselves for his coming. And this text this morning and the couple that I'm going to tie together speak to us about what it looks like for us to make ourselves ready for God. Lord Jesus, we are here together again as your people, crying out to you, saying, come Lord Jesus, we need you. Help us, help us. So many things in our lives are dislocated and they're not where they should be. And so much in our world is dislocated. It's not where it should be. And so we're asking you to come and illuminate for us what does it look like for us to wait for the coming of God? What does it look like for us to posture ourselves in between your first coming in Nazareth 2,000 years ago and your second coming at the end of history? Help us this morning. Lord Jesus, I am praying that all of the things that are most personal to us this morning, that you'd find a way to speak into those things. Teach us, help us, illuminate for us the meaning of our lives again. We're trusting you. We pray that the scriptures would speak to us in a fresh way about what you intend for our lives and that we would find ourselves in these next moments as we encounter the living word in our midst that we find ourselves being undone again by Jesus. Open our hearts, we pray. Come, have your way. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Luke chapter 3 and verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Idorea and Trachonitis. That sounds like a bowel disease, doesn't it? Drink a lot of water, have it washed out there. And Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came, John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Everybody say, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. I think that's interesting. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. For every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low and the crooked roads shall become straight. 
and the rough ways smooth, and all people, everybody say all people, all people will see God's salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God. John the Baptist appears in the wilderness with this message, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, which I think is fascinating. John the Baptist leads this renewal movement in the wilderness that sets the stage for the coming of the Messiah. And it's interesting to me what he says. He calls the people to prepare the way for the Lord, to straighten out the pathways for God, because God is coming at some point, And when God comes, the valleys will be raised up and the mountains and the hills will be made low and the rugged places will become level and the crooked places will be straight. Fascinating, huh? It's almost as though what he's telling the people to do is to organize their lives in such a way that those lives match the life of the kingdom of God when the life of the kingdom of God comes. Does that make sense? So he calls them to prepare the way because there is this moment coming when everything will be made right. Start making things right in your life, John the Baptist says, here and now, because one day God will come and he will make everything else right around you. What John the Baptist is calling them to is a kind of matching between what their lives are supposed to look like and what that future life of the kingdom of God will be when the Messiah comes. And so his word to the people is what? You just said it a moment ago. What's John's word to the people? Prepare. Prepare the way for the Lord. The question is, what does it look like? John will go on to give us some detail later on in the text. But the question is, what does it look like for us to ready ourselves for the coming of the Lord? What does it look like for the church to prepare? And I think that Paul, in another reading for the second Sunday of Advent, gives us some clue as to what that preparedness looks like. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. Listen to Paul's words. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, actually, the Greek there is plural. It's he who began a good work among y'all, like in the church, will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's looking ahead to the end of history, and he insists that God is faithful among the people of God to prepare his people for the coming of the Lord. He goes on, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since, he says, I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you are sharers in God's grace with me. And God can testify, think about this, listen to Paul's words. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, Paul writes, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Twice in this passage, Paul talks about them being ready for the day of the Lord or the day of Christ Jesus. And all that he says to him, all that he says to the Philippians in these eight verses is a way of him articulating just what it looks like for them to be a people that are ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, when I was a kid growing up in church, 
we talked a lot about the coming of Jesus. Second coming of Jesus at the end of history, that was a thing that occupied a great deal of our time and energy and our imagination. And we talked often about being prepared for the Lord. And when we talked about being prepared for the Lord, usually it boiled down to sort of one or two or really both questions, I think. And the first question is the question of like getting right with God, right? Are you right with the Lord? And I cannot tell you how many sermons I heard when I was a kid that concluded with some kind of a strong charge at the end, like, are you right with the Lord? And if the Lord Jesus came back tonight, would you be able to stand before him confidently in your relationship with Jesus, you know, or like even worse, if you died tonight, you've heard that one, you know, which uh, Carl Bart actually once called the gospel at gunpoint. If you died tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Are you ready to face the coming of the Lord, getting right with God? And I know that that was done out of a good heart, that we really wanted to make sure that everybody in the church was square in their relationship with Jesus. But just having grown up in that movement, having grown up that way, I think that I can say to you, at least from my own experience, that what that did in me is that produced a lot of anxiety in me. Am I right with the Lord? And so I guess... Today's the day, or tonight's the night, or this morning is the morning when I say the sinner's prayer, and I feel pretty good about this in in the moment, but what happens when I go home, and I'm mean to my brother or my sister, or I do something that God does not approve of? Have I somehow lost my standing with God? Well, I don't know. i got to wait until Wednesday night church to get my life right with the Lord again. And then you're waiting for the next altar call. And I probably responded, I'm not even kidding to you about this, I probably responded to the altar call, the sinner's prayer, that whole thing, no less than 1,700 times when I was a kid. And it's always sort of anxious in my spirit. Am I right with the Lord? You know, and I don't know if I'm right with the Lord. You know, if there's, is there sin in my life? Okay, that, that was the other thing that would always come through in those appeals. If you have sin in your life. Well, what human being living before the coming of Jesus doesn't have sin in their life? But somehow we thought that if you could just be like really earnest in the praying of the sinner's prayer and the searching out of your heart and taking inventory of what's going on, that you could get your life right with God, getting right with God is one of the ways I think that a lot of us have been taught to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. I think that the other way that I was often taught, maybe you were too, like what does it look like to be prepared for the coming of the Lord? The second thing would be making sure that you have the right beliefs, okay? Uh, especially beliefs about the end times. As though the coming of the Lord Jesus would be sort of like, okay, when we all get like our moment with him one by one, what's going to happen is we're all going to have to take a theology exam before we get admitted into the kingdom of God, right? And so you get there and Jesus is like, okay, now here, I want you to write out what your belief on the two natures of Jesus, me, is. So if you could just give me a nice little essay on that, uh, five paragraphs, you know, seven will get you extra credit. And you're panicking. You're like, I thought that this was going to be multiple choice. You know, I don't know how to do this, right? And honestly, though, that, for a lot of us, that's the way that we were brought up. And right beliefs about the end times. You know, like that was like a big deal. That you don't actually get to spend eternity with Jesus in the kingdom of God unless you've just got it all figured out. When does the rapture happen? Is it before or after the millennium? Or is the millennium just kind of like a metaphor for something? We don't really know, you know? And so there's a lot of anxiety in us about like getting everything right. And so if it's not like moral or spiritual anxiety about the state of our souls, and it's like this huge amount of mental anxiety, do I believe the right things? Making sure that we've got our doctrinal ducks all in a row. And what I find fascinating about this passage in Philippians, Paul's words, is that Paul has no anxiety about those things. 
There isn't any anxiety about like, do you have your life right with the Lord? Nor is there any anxiety about having the right beliefs. Of course, what we believe about Jesus matters because we're organizing ourselves. Our beliefs help us articulate in our own hearts who it is that we're worshiping. But Paul doesn't lay stress on those things in this passage. What does Paul lay stress on in this passage? For Paul, I would say that if you asked him, Paul, what's the sign that people are ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus? For Paul, abounding love. Everybody say abounding love. Abounding love is the sure sign that we are ready for the coming of the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 9. This, he says, is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. What's the sign that we're ready for the coming of the kingdom of God? I ask you, church, what is the sign that we are ready for the coming kingdom of God? Abounding love is the sign that we're ready for the kingdom of God of God, for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Why would that be so? Why would that be so? I've got a really easy answer to that question for you. Because God is love. That's why. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. And so John the Baptist is telling the people to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, and he wants their life to match the life of eternity that is coming, what we do then, preparedness for that life of eternity, is that we live a life of abounding love. Paul makes this fascinating statement later on in Philippians where he says to the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, or a better translation of that might be that you are a colony of heaven. He's talking to the church here. That you are a colony of heaven, and from there we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You are a colony of heaven. He says a colony in the ancient Roman world had the characteristics of that of which it was a part. So Philippi was a colony of Rome, which means that when you you went to Philippi, all of the ethos of Rome lived at Philippi. So that if you wanted to know what Rome was like, you only had to visit where? And Paul tells the church that they are a colony of what? Of heaven. So that if we want to know what heaven is like, where should we go? To the church. Because the church is an ongoing manifestation of the kingdom of God. The church is a foretaste of what God is bringing at the end of all things. So the sign that we are being made ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus is that there is abounding love in our midst. How do we know that we are a colony of heaven? There's love present among us. Can I get an amen? And in this house, I see signs of the kingdom of God in our midst all the time. Is William Kapfer here this morning? He's not because he's serving in children's ministry. William and Kelly Kapfer, been members of New Life East since we started this congregation a couple years ago. And William, some of you might know, these guys are faithful like every single Sunday they're back in the children's ministry. And William, this past summer, he was helping out with our kids camp that we put on. And while William was helping set up, he had this like sharp pain in his side and he kept trying to like muscle through it, you know, because he's just so faithful and dedicated guy. And Shailene, our children's ministry director, said to him, dude, you got to like get yourself to the hospital. So William goes to the hospital and they run some scans on him and they realize that he's got kidney stones. And 
So they prepare to do some surgery to get the kidney stones out. And as they're doing surgery, they realize that he's got like a mass on his kidney that they need to take out. And so they schedule the surgery. And just a couple weeks ago, they took that mass out and there's no cancer left in his body. William is in a good place, right? Thanks be to God for that. You can give thanks to God. And William is like a week maybe removed from his surgery. And just last weekend, he's wanting to go serve back in children's ministry. And Kelly's like, you, no, you can't do that. Don't go serve in children's ministry. You got to like, you know, you're convalescing here. You need to get better. And Will, Will, this grown man, Will, this hulking mass of a man, is like, no, I have to be back there to see the kids. And so William, even though he can't technically serve in children's ministry last week, you know what he was doing last week? He was standing outside the door of his classroom, greeting every single one of the little kids as they came into the classroom because he couldn't not see them on a Sunday morning. And Rory will tell you that Huck, their little son Huck, Huck's favorite person at New Life East, you know who Huck's favorite person is? William Kepfer. <laughs> you know what the prophet Isaiah says at the end of history? That the lions will lay down with the lambs. <laughs> that the strong ones in our midst and the vulnerable ones in our midst will actually come together and that will be the sign that God has invaded our space. Do you want to know the sign, brothers and sisters, that heaven is breaking through in New Life East in our midst? It's William Kapfer standing at the door of the children's ministry waiting for the kids to come in on Sunday mornings. The kingdom is breaking out all around us, friends. Some of you might know another couple comes in New Life East, Jeff and Darian Cowell. Jeff and Darian have been part of New Life for many, many, many years. Jeff 15 years ago, helped build our life safety ministry from the ground up after the tragic shooting at New Life North. And they've served and they're dedicated, good people. And they've been part of New Life East from the beginning. And uh, Darian, for many years, has carried this liver disease. And it wasn't quite clear, like, it, the doctors always knew there was going to be like a moment where all of a sudden she kind of falls off the cliff with it. But they never really knew when that was going to happen. And about a year ago, her health started collapsing. And they put her on the wait list to get a liver transplant. And just a couple weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, uh, a liver came available and Darian's health was in just the right spot. And so they scheduled the liver transplant and did it. And Darian is up in Denver, staying at the Hyatt House, and she's doing great. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. But that's lonely. Nobody wants to be up in a little hotel type thing across the street from a hospital during Thanksgiving. And so you know what happened last Thursday? Two Thursdays ago, Thanksgiving, one of the guys from Jeff's fire team, an older man in, his, in that fire team, called up Jeff and said, hey, are you guys doing anything today? Was it, no, we're sitting around in this stupid hotel room thing. He goes, well, do you like turkey? And do you like cranberry sauce? And do you like stuffing? And do you want a good meal? And Jeff goes, what are you saying? He goes, we're bringing Thanksgiving dinner to you. And so they, they took their Thanksgiving Surely they had other places to be. Surely they had other places to see and friends to be with and family to be with, and, but they didn't. They went up to Denver and they didn't just bring it in like little Tupperware and kind of put it out and sit around it. Do you know what they did? They brought a tablecloth and like nice plates and nice glasses. And they set the table and they dined together with Jeff and Darian so that Jeff and Darian wouldn't be alone on Thanksgiving Day. So what's the sign? that the kingdom of God is breaking into our midst. It's that. It's not that we have all of our doctrinal ducks in a row. And it's not that we're on the right side of political matters. 
He wants you to be thoughtful about your politics and all of that. But at the end of the day, what is the sign that Jesus Christ is gaining ground in our lives? What does Paul say? Abounding love. This past summer here at New Life East, we had a family whose grandmother lives across the pond. She died, passed away, and they didn't have money in the bank. Whole family of five or six people didn't have the money in the bank to get over and see grandma and give her a proper burial and honor her and say the words and be with the family. They needed about $10,000 to get across the ocean. Do you know what this community did? It paid for it. And not out of just some random benevolence fund, but like individuals in this church went, what can we do to help? How can we step up in the midst of that? Guys, abounding love is the sign that God is advancing among us. And I see it every single Sunday that we gather in this place. I, I see it in this warmth on people's faces and the way that we hug each other. I see it even in the little kids. And I think about Mandy this past, she turned, Mandy turned 41 on April 23rd this past year. And uh, do you know who gave her a present this year? Little Elan Stoddard gave Mandy a present this year because Elan loves Mandy. And so Elan put together a card for Mandy and made sure that <laughs> what is the sign that God is having his way among us. It's abounding love. Why? Because God is love. And so when love is being born among us, we can be sure that God is having his way with us. First John chapter 4, John says that God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God, in God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world, friends. We are like Jesus. What gives us confidence on the day of judgment? It's that we've allowed ourselves to be conquered by the love that is conquering the world. And when that happens and we look at Jesus, we will be looking face to face with the very life that was constantly conquering our own lives. That's why we'll recognize him. Because we'll have walked with him every day of our lives. This, guys, this is a vision for the church in our time. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. One of my favorite Christmas tunes is the old song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. And we know the first two verses, I think, pretty well, but we don't stop and ponder the third and the fourth verse as often as we should, I think. The song goes, Thou art giving and forgiving. Ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living. Ocean depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Mortals join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. Father love is reigning o'er us. Brother love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. Friends, this is our story. That God is creating love among us that allows us to be victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. But I want to say something to you, and with this we'll begin to make the turn into communion. 
it would be easy to be triumphalistic about this, wouldn't it? Well, okay, here we go. This is easy. All we got to do is live in love and talk about love and preach love and invite everybody into the love. And who doesn't love love, you know? And we get triumphalistic about us, about this. And I think that sometimes we forget that we're living in a world that's very full of conflict and that there's nothing easy about this. My friend, Father Ken Tanner is one of the best pastors I know, lives up in Michigan, has been pastoring this beautiful community up there for many, many years. And Ken, uh, maybe more than anybody I know, preaches the love of God in this community and is evangelizing people with the love of God that is known in Christ Jesus the Lord and is seeking the kingdom of God to come to expression, the will of God to be done. He's evangelist for the love of God. And in that community up in Michigan, this past week, a 15-year-old walked into a school, Oxford High School, with a semi-automatic weapon and killed four students. And I got a text message from Ken on Tuesday after it happened. He said, I was one of a couple clergy that got called to a Meyer grocery store where they had set up a reunification center for parents and for the kids. And he said, and we watched family after family after family grab their kids after their kids were identified safe and the families were reunified. And he said that I was standing there with the three families who the initial three families where the kids were killed on the spot. And he said, sometimes I just don't know what to do. Like I'm preaching love and I'm trying to evangelize this community with the love of God and I'm trying to show them that in Jesus there's a better way. And sometimes it just seems so futile. How is the love that we try to model with one another in the community, how is it ever going to be enough to stem the tide of evil in our world? And that is just the latest in a long litany of moments of violence and expressions of violence in our world. And I thought about it. I was preparing this message as I got this text message from him. And I was thinking about these words. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other and lift us to the joy divine. Mortals join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us and brother love binds man to man. And ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife, joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. And I thought about Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 1. Paul's confidence for the Philippian community is not that they're so good at love. But Paul says that my confidence is this, that the one who, what? Will what? Be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul isn't confident in the Philippian community because he's confident in the Philippian community. Paul is confident in the Philippian community because he's confident in who? God. And I'm confident that love will win the day in our world, not because I think that we're so good at loving, but because I think that we are called to be confident in God. But we believe that at the end of all things, 
Christ Jesus will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That the one who began the good work in creation when he said, let there be light and there was light, will see to it that every last trace of darkness is extinguished from his world until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will. And so we say with Paul, that we are confident that the one who began the good work, not just in us, but in our world, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And what we do when we come to the table is we say, Jesus, start here, start with us. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just say it, church? Start here. Start here. Start with us. Start with us. Would you wash out of us every last trace of darkness? Would you wash out of us every last trace of contempt and hatred and the fear that separates us from other people? Would you wash it out? Would you conquer in us? Would you triumph in us, Lord Jesus? Would you woo us with your love? which does not dominate us and it doesn't subject us and it doesn't subdue us, but the love awakens us. It calls us to delight. It puts praise on our lips. So we say, come Lord Jesus, have your way. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, we make this our prayer before you, Lord Jesus. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the promise of the gospel. That if anybody is in Christ... That person is a new creation. The kingdom of God we are not just waiting for, but the kingdom of God has already come to you. And the will of God is already being done in you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you can receive that this morning, would you give God praise? Let's worship together as we prepare our hearts for communion. Joyful, joyful we Adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the
be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you do that right now? Give him thanks. I thank you, Jesus. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. He sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's what we celebrate when we come to the communion table. God's love in sending his son to the cross to die for your sins. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. Would you break the wafer in your hand that represents the body of Christ? And he said, this is for you. Whenever you gather together, Would you celebrate how much I love you? And would you remember the sacrifice that I made for you with you in mind? Would you receive this gift together? And on the same night, I took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the cup of salvation which purifies us from all unrighteousness, is for you. Would you do this and remember Jesus? Would you drink together? We respond by saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Would you lift your voice? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy And so God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God. 
and God lives in them. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening our hearts again to the love that makes all things new. Keep doing it in us and through us, do it for the world. We're trusting you for that. Church, would you lift your hands like this, receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Do you know in all of the busyness of this morning and all we had going on, I almost forgot to introduce the newest member of our New Life East worship team, Andy Rosier. Would you guys give it up for Andy? His wife, Joanna, and their son, Ben, are on the front row over here. Would you just welcome them into our community? We're so glad to have you guys here. As you go, New Life East, God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you're new, stop at Connect Central. We'd love to meet you. Remember to find out about the student thing. Altar ministry, come on forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. Do I have anything else I need to say? It's just a lot of things sometimes. Okay, come on forward if you need prayer for anything. We love you, New Life East. We'll see you next Sunday.